tonight's scripture is Second Peter, Second Peter one nineteen through twenty one. All of this makes us even more certain that what the prophet said is true. So you should pay close attention to their message, as you would to a lamp shining in some dark place. You must keep on paying attention until daylight comes and the morning star rises in your hearts. But you need to realize that no one alone can understand any of the prophecies in the scriptures. The prophets did not think these things up on their own, but they were guided by the Spirit of God. The word of the Lord. When we started tonight, we affirmed the Nicene Creed. And we began with two simple words. We said, we believe. And one of the things we've kind of taken for granted, we haven't really talked about, that's a fair question, is what is the source of our knowledge about God? I mean, we've been saying some pretty detailed, pretty uh, assertive things about what we believe to be true about God. We've been going in depth about the core of the gospel and how the Trinity relates and what God's doing in Christ and all these things. But where is the source of our knowledge of those things? How do we know they're true? Well, the phrase that we're going to look at tonight is the place in the scriptures that address that. And this is the paragraph we've been working on. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And so tonight we want to look at this this idea that God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks through his prophets, and that that's how we can know him. God of the Bible is a God of love. He wants to be in loving relationship with us. He wants to be known. He reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself through the Son. And he reveals himself in the scriptures by speaking through the prophets. And for those of you who are visiting, we are studying the creed this year, line by line, because that's our doctrinal statement. We have a lot of theological diversity, and so our common belief in the creed holds us together, and this is how we've been approaching doctrine. All Souls wants to be a church where Christians who disagree about important questions of biblical interpretation can live together in loving unity. We strive towards this vision by affirming the Nicene Creed while respecting, challenging, and learning from our brothers and sisters who interpret the Bible differently on non-creedal issues. Now, the church fathers were likely thinking of the verse Deb just read us when they wrote uh, this into the creed. And I'm going to read it from uh, the ESV version. A little easier to preach from tonight. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Bruce, if you just leave that up there for a while, 
Uh, Peter, uh, at this point, is probably in a Roman prison. It's probably somewhere around 67 AD. It's one of his last letters. And he's writing to Christians in the Roman Empire who are in a world in some ways not that different from ours. There were many different religions in this world. All of them claimed to uh, speak for God. And some of them were questioning the apostles' message and saying, well, why should we trust that you're speaking truth? And so Peter responds in the verses before this, he reminds his readers that he was an eyewitness of Christ, and that's one reason why they can trust what he's written them. But then here he talks about the prophetic word. We have something more sure, the prophetic word. Christianity is a prophetic religion. Not all religions are. Buddhism isn't. Hinduism isn't. Uh, A prophet is someone who speaks for God. The Old Testament sets the pattern for this. Uh, Here's uh, the prophet Jeremiah as he's describing how he speaks. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in the book all the words that I have spoken to you. So the prophets understand themselves to be bringing the word of the Lord to the people of God. And so hundreds of times in the Old Testament you see this introduction, thus says the Lord. And by Peter's day, the inspired words of the prophets had been written down to form what we now call the Old Testament scriptures. And Peter tells them, he says, you shall pay attention to these Old Testament scriptures. He says, these scriptures are like a lamp shining in a dark place. In other words, the world is morally and spiritually dark, especially when we are not in relationship with God. We are called back into relationship with God through the cross, and He now reveals His will for us through the inspired scriptures. So pay attention, He says, as you walk through a murky and cloudy world, pay attention because the inspired word will reveal to you how to live like a lamp in the darkness. Well, how does that happen? Well, Peter says that we know no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, was never produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a very important uh, Belief In this series, we're talking about the core foundational beliefs of our faith. And the belief is this, that the origin of the scriptures is God. That the source of scripture is God. That God is the one who speaks to us through the scripture. Now, it's also true, he says, that God speaks through men. God speaks through prophets. Uh, And so that means that the scriptures are uh, a divine and human book. They're from God. They come through men. And that means, of course, that they're going to reflect the the thought life and the language and the culture of, of the person writing. But this is important because as Christians, when we call this, this is called the doctrine of inspiration, What we mean by this is different than when you go to a a play at Clarence Brown and say, that was really inspiring. That means that was uh, encouraging, it lifted me up, it were some great things to think about. When Christians use the word, the Bible is inspired, they don't mean it was an inspiring 
piece of literature. They mean God actually breathed the words into it and then spoke those words through men. Now, Paul will say the same thing in a little different way in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, he says, is breathed out, theonoustos, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. So God breathes out his words through the biblical writers into Scripture. So, the apostles believed that the Old Testament Scriptures were divinely inspired. They believed that God had spoken through the prophets. Now, what about the inspiration of the New Testament? It hadn't been written yet, right? So, why do we as Christians apply this to the New Testament? Well, the early Christians are aware that the Spirit is speaking through the writings of the apostles, just as he spoke through the prophets. And I'll just give you two examples. Uh, the first is 2 Peter 3.15. Peter says, There are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So do you follow that? Uh, What's happening there is Paul is being recognized as an inspired prophet writing scripture. So already at the time of, of this letter, what, 67 AD or something like that, the early church has recognized that the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul in the same way that he spoke through the Old Testament prophets. Now, uh, let, let me give you uh, one other example from 1 Timothy 5.18. Paul is writing. He says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, think about that for a minute. He says, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox. That's not from the Old Testament. It's from Jesus. And so here Paul is, and now again, we're probably in the 60s. This is late in his life. Evidently, the words of Jesus had already been understood to, become, to be inspired. And so Paul calls the words of Jesus inspired scripture. Now, the list of books which the church recognizes as inspired scripture is called the canon. That's a, a Greek word that refers to a list or a rule. It's a, a, the official list of the books that the Christian church has seen as inspired. Now, during the first centuries after Christ, and you may have heard of this, it seems like about every Easter, all the major publications come out with some story about all the lost Gospels and how that's where you find the real truth and all that sort of thing. Um, there are lots of lost Gospels. They found a bunch of them in the 40s at a cave in Namarubi and some other places. Uh, I, I've read a lot of them when I was in graduate school. Uh, there are a lot of literature that was floating around in the first and second century about Jesus. There were letters. And how did the early church know which were inspired and which were not? Well, essentially, they started to identify these writings. And essentially what they did was, through a, a three-century process collate all these letters and identify 27 as the ones where they said, 
we hear the Spirit speaking through these. And there were some criteria, and I had a whole course on the canon in seminary. We're not going to do that to you tonight. Um, but essentially it was, did an apostle write it? Is it orthodox? In other words, consisting with the, the gospel everywhere else. And is it consensual? In other words, is it accepted by most of the church? Those were the, the three criteria. And so you have a list appearing in a letter in the middle of the second century with all the books of our New Testament. And by the fourth century, they actually came together in a council and agreed these 27 books are the ones through which we hear the Spirit speak. Now, one of the the beliefs that the fathers had as they were identifying uh, the New Testament canon was that Jesus kept his promises. And one of the things Jesus promised in John 14 was to the disciples, to the apostles, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, this was very important. And, and honestly, as, as someone who's spent a lot of his life studying the Bible and been in uh, a lot of classes that question the authority of the Bible, this is where I personally have often come back when I've asked, can I trust this book? Do I really think this is God's word? I've gone back to this, this belief that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who proved he was God by rising from the dead, promised the apostles, I will guide you in the preservation of Scripture. And if you study the church councils and you study how the scriptures come together, it's, it's like going into the kitchen uh, in a great restaurant. It's real messy and sloppy and lots of crazy things went on. But what the church has always believed is that Christ's spirit was guiding through that messy process so that we could have the Bible as we have it today. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, can you prove this? Uh, Doug, aren't you using a circular argument? I mean, I am, right? Uh, how do you know the Scripture's inspired? Because the Scripture says it's inspired. Okay? That's not actually the argument I'm making, okay? I can't prove to you that the Scriptures are inspired. You can't prove things like this. These are matters of faith. What I can do is suggest to you that it is reasonable to believe that the scriptures are inspired and that it's worthy of your faith. Let me give you four quick reasons why. And let's state the obvious. Number one, scripture does claim to be inspired. You've got to start with what scripture says about itself. And that's what scripture says. The prophets, they think they're speaking God's word. The New Testament writers say that the prophets are speaking God's words. The early Christians think the Spirit is speaking Scripture through them. So the Bible claims to be inspired. Secondly, Jesus believed the Scriptures were inspired. And this could be a whole sermon, but we'll just take a minute here. He says it's inspired down to its jot and tittle, the smallest marks of the Hebrew alphabet, Matthew 5. At one point, Jesus says David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying a psalm was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Another point, citing Genesis, Jesus says the Creator said... God is speaking, he says, through the first books of Genesis. Uh, There's books written on this, and we could do a whole series on how Christ viewed the Old Testament, and he clearly thinks it's inspired. Now, to me, you put that with the first one, and you've got a pretty good case, because 
As we've said, we think there's a, there's a lot of historical validity for the idea that Christ rose from the dead. And if Christ rose from the dead, that means that he's God. If he's God, and if he thinks the scriptures are the word of God, pretty good evidence that they're the word of God. Third reason, we just hit it. Jesus promises to guide the church as she listens to him speak. John 14. And then the fourth reason why it's reasonable to believe that the scriptures are inspired is the testimony of 2,000 years suggests that God's spirit is at work in the book. There are so many stories like the one that Alicia shared with us tonight of men and women who faithfully encountered the word of God and experienced his power through it. One writer put it like this. This is a book on the Bible. He says, picking it up, you need to remind yourself that you hold in your hands not only the most famous book in the world, but one with extraordinary power to change lives, to change communities, to change the world. It's done it before. It can do it again. Now, when we affirm that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets, we are affirming that God speaks through Scripture, that this is God's Word, and that when you read it, you are encountering the living Word of God. Now, as with everything else in the church, there's a diversity of belief on how that works and, and all of that. No debate on that. Lots of different views. But all Christians in all places in all times have believed that God speaks through His Word by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to end by, by asking, you know, if you believe that, What does that mean for you practically? First, this means that the scriptures express the authority of God. Uh, J.I. Packer put it like this. He's a, a theologian. The written scriptures are the word which God spoke and speaks to his church and is finally authoritative for faith and life. God says in Isaiah 60, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now, one of the reasons we're going to stop at this point is, is, is I want us to understand as we go through the creed and as, as we say these things, some of the radical countercultural statements that you're making when you say you're a Christian and you believe this core gospel truth. You are saying that you are a man or you are a woman who has decided to live in community under the authority of God. You are saying, I am no longer a free agent. You are saying, I have changed kingdoms. I have now sworn my allegiance to a new king. That king's authority is mediated through this book. And as best as I can understand it, I am an accountable to obey it. That's a radically countercultural move. The spirituality that I think we have in our culture is much, much more I'm in authority, and I will take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and I will weave together a belief that fits me. We're saying that's not Christianity. We're saying that when you become a Christian, You are laying down all your authority and you are submitting to his authority and trying to discern that authority 
through faithful study of the scriptures. So Martin Luther, when he's standing before the council where he's ordered to burn his books and renounce his understanding of the gospel, he says, my conscience is subject to the word of God. My conscience is subject to the word of God. That is the watch cry of every Christian. And so I think we could ask at this point, is my conscience subject to the word of God? If I'm studying scripture and I am spoken to by God in that scripture and I understand what it means and what God is saying to me, do I submit to it? When I'm reading scripture and God convicts me of sin, do I repent? When I'm reading scripture and he urges me to move, do I move? When I'm reading scripture and he urges me to stay, do I stay? When I'm reading scripture and he invites me to explore something, do I explore? When I'm reading scripture and he summons me to courage and action, do I act? When I'm reading scripture and he says, run, do I run? Now, I've thought a lot this week, and I've had a conversation with a couple of you. At this point, as a pastor, I'm so aware of all the guilt that's associated with Bible reading and failed Bible reading programs and legalism and yada, yada, yada. I get it. I get it. I get it. Especially those of you that are young mothers. Uh, we were young once. That didn't come out quite the way I meant it. But I mean, uh, we, I, I remember how hard it is when you're up all night. And uh, So lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of grace here. However, let me say this. I think one of the reasons we don't study Scripture is not because we're too tired or too busy. It's because in our hearts, as Christians, we know that if we do, we're accountable for what we bump into. I think that's the main reason we don't study Scripture. Because I know you. You guys are gifted, talented, disciplined people. You do unbelievable things. You have time for Pinterest. You post amazing things on Facebook. So the idea that I'm tired and my kids are fussy, I got, I got lots of grace, lots of grace. But I think one of the reasons we don't study Scripture is our heart tells us <laughs> I could plead ignorance. But of course, you get picked up by a cop tonight going 80, and <laughs> I, I didn't see the sign off of the, you know. Not so. <laughs> Come with me. Can you say my conscience is subject to the word of God? Second application. The scripture nourishes our relationship with God. And this is so important. God wants to be known. He says to Jeremiah, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Jesus, this is eternal life that they know you in the only true God, and Jesus whom you've sent. The way we know God is through his word. Faith comes from hearing, Paul says, and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus says, man shall not live by the bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scriptures nourish our relationship with Jesus Christ. They're the means by which we know God. 
And so it's so important for you to find the way that feeds your soul in the Word. And it's going to be different for everybody. It's not one size fits all. But you've got to find out what works for you. Some of us do it better in groups. Some of us do it better individually. Some of us like to listen. Some of us like to read devotions. Some of us like to journal. Some of us like to hear the preached Word. Some of us like to go through the lectionary. It doesn't matter how you're doing it. Just do it. It's how you nourish a relationship with God. And let me suggest that, that, that when you approach the Bible, you need to approach it different ways at different times. There is a time for thorough study of the Word of God. That's very, very important. But there are other times when you just need to get into the Word and be nourished, as Alicia so powerfully described it, where it's not so much about mastering the whole flow of the book of Exodus, but you need to hear God and cultivate your friendship with Him. And that requires a different orientation. That is more a posture of humble listening. Now, I'm a journaler. I know everybody is not a journaler. But you need to find some way where you can write down and identify what God's voice is saying to you as you read Holy Scripture. Well, last, the Scripture invites us to join the mission of God. From the first pages of Scripture to the last, God is on a great rescue mission. We call it the mission of God. He invites us to join us And the scripture shows us how to fit in. N.T. Wright says this, Scripture is more than simply revelation in the sense of conveying information. A fully Christian view of the Bible is always to be understood within the category of God's mission to the world. See, I think that's very important because if all we focus on is in devotion, we're going to miss part of what the Bible is all about because the Bible... As is, is, is much as it's about you and God's love for you and His desire to comfort you, that comfort is always given in the context of His mission in the world. And, and if you just kind of use the Bible as a self-help guide, and it's just me and Jesus, it's going to get dead pretty quickly. Because the Bible is about the mission of God. And I think that's what Paul's saying in 2 Timothy 3. I like how the message translates it. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful in one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. And we've talked about the Bible being like a four-act play, this great story with these acts of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And we've talked about how one way to think about the Christian life is you've been summoned onto stage somewhere in the middle of the third act. And the only way you're going to know how to improvise when you show up on that stage is to make sure you know the plot line of the story, you know the characters, you know the author's intent, you know where things are going. And so the way that you do that is by immersing yourself in the Scripture. Now I know for for many of the young people I talk with, And many of the people my age that I talk with, 
One of the primary questions we have in our lives is, what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? And what I often find is is that when we have those conversations, we've often missed the very first step. And I know there's lots of other steps that we can talk about in discerning God's will for your life. But the very first step is to be thoroughly immersed in the scripture so that you know the play you just walked into. And once that happens, you'll find that other things come more naturally into place. That's my Mother's Day sermon. (laughs) Let's pray. Thank you.